welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. Philippians chapter 1, we've been doing a series on Philippians. We started two weeks ago, and... uh, some really wonderful and powerful things in Philippians. This morning we're talking about hope, and uh, we're going to start with really a question that is, doesn't feel very hopeful, I guess, at first, but it, you're going to see where this is going in just a moment. Uh, I, Because of what I do, I like to uh, acquire quotes from a variety of sources on things, and uh, sometimes they're from unexpected sources. This uh, We're beginning with a quote from John Krasinski of all people, from, you know, he's on The Office, that guy, uh, Jim, on The Office, and uh, he was on Stephen Colbert, and Colbert does this uh, kind of interesting thing where he'll quiz people, and I think he calls it the Col- the questionnaire, with an E-R-T on the end, like his last name, Colbert, and uh, one of the questions I'm always interested when he asks is, what do you think happens when you die? And so he's asked all kinds of movie stars and people that are, you know, po- in popular culture. And uh, I remember Shaquille O'Neal, uh, when asked, what do you think happens when we die? Shaquille said, nobody knows. He said, Charles Barkley's going to hell, but nobody knows what happens. Um, other movie stars uh, said things like, I think that our energy stays around the ones that we love, which is kind of a new age idea, like our energy stays around the people we love. It just kind of hovers uh, but when Stephen Colbert asked uh, John Krasinski, uh, Krasinski's response was, you know, he does that kind of puppy dog thing where it's like he's hopeful, wishful. He does that in his character. I think he's like that in real life. But his very simple answer was, I hope it's great. I hope it's great. And I was struck by that, just kind of the, the sense of innocence and urgency that's kind of intermingled and in thinking it is going to be great. I hope you know that. So this morning we're going to talk about a hope that is great. Um, so let me invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand as we read in Philippians chapter 1, starting in the middle of verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's in jail, so he's talking as somebody's writing from in jail. Um, for uh, preaching the gospel. Uh, This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let's pray and ask God to bless us as we study this. 
Mm. I pray, Lord, that your word would be active in my heart and the hearts of everybody who's present here to give us a living hope, something that we can stand upon, a sure foundation as we live life in the world right now. There are so many things that are unstable. There are so many things that worry us, and this is a prime opportunity for us to look at you, the one who is stable, the one who is a rock, who is a fortress, who is a shield, the one who is a shepherd, the one who guides and leads us. Would you enable us to see the hope that is ours so that we would cling to you? Bless us and be with us right now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please have a seat. So we're talking this morning about hope, and uh, Philippians 1 is a great passage because Paul in this passage gives us a picture of living hope um, and the power of hope. So the Christian hope doesn't merely provide consolation in the midst of grief. It does do that, um, but it provides the power for living a new kind of life. So we're going to talk about the nature of faith, the content of faith, and the power of, uh, I'm sorry, the nature of hope, content of hope, and the power of hope. So the first of those, nature of Christian hope. We have plenty of words, I think, that talk about how our broken pasts invade our present lives and cast a shadow over everything. We know those words. Uh, words like mistake, trauma, tragedy, regret, self-reproach, shame. Hope is the exact opposite of those words because it's the light of God's future grace shining into our present lives, illuminating everything, giving us strength, giving us courage, giving us joy, and even giving peace in the midst of the most difficult situations. And this is what Paul is experiencing here under house arrest, is the light of the hope of the gospel is shining upon him even in the midst of his shell, uh, in, in the midst of his jail cell, so he can say, I have hope in the midst of the brokenness of my life. And it's how we can say, along with them, either by life or by death, Christ will be exalted in my body. Right? I want that kind of hope, and my guess is that you do too. But I think we have to talk a little bit about what hope is and what it isn't. What is hope? Well, hope in the Bible is different than the way we typically talk about hope. Hope, the way we say it, is uh, there's a bit of uncertainty involved in it. For instance, maybe on the way here you said, I hope I remembered to turn off the iron and some of you are thinking, oh, no, did I forget to turn off the, does he know something I didn't know? That's just the way we think. It's like, oh, I hope I remembered to do this. But there's some uncertainty in that. I don't know if it's true or not, but I hope I did it. Um, so hope in, in English may express something that is true, like a wish fulfillment, but it's not certain. Hope in English, the way we use it, expresses a mere preference. Like, I hope you can come over for ice cream later. Uh, that's a preference, but it's not really... Uh, something that's life-changing, that's inconsequential. Your, your life isn't built on it. You're not banking on it. But hope in Scripture is something you bank on, you're certain on, you're, it's foundational. So this is what hope is. Hope refers to the deepest longings and desires of your heart that you were convinced you will possess. Or to say it a different way, hope is the best thing in your life that you're convinced will ever happen in your life. That's hope. So if, if the best thing that ever happened in your life was in the past, then you're not looking to the future with hope. You're, dwell, you're going to dwell on the past. But if the best thing that's going to happen to you is in the future, well, that's, that gives you a power for living that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Christian hope looks with confident longing to the future fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that's ever going to happen to us. So that's what we're going to talk about. So hope in the Bible has three elements. Number one, Christian hope is about the future. It's not referring to the granting of any personal wish now. 
right? It's not located in the here and now. God may answer our prayers for the present life right now, but when we talk about biblical hope, it's not in the present right now. It's not hoping that God will do what I want him to do, that I'll get the job, I'll get the promotion, the economy will get better, any of those things right now. Hope is pressing farther into the future. It's not hoping that God will do what I want him to do. It's the complete assurance that God is going to do what he intends to do. And that that is really good news. Our hope is that God is going to fulfill his promise for the future to remove all evil and grief and pain from the world and renew all things, right? That his plan will prevail. That's our hope. That's the bedrock hope underneath us. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about hope. Hope is future. Hope is deep. It's ultimate. It pertains to our deepest human longings. Hope speaks to some of the deepest longings that we have as people. I hope to find a love that will last. I want a love that will last. I want a future that is secure. I want real freedom. I want for everything to be okay. And what he's telling us about Christian hope is my ultimate happiness achieved is in what God will do in the cosmos. It's future, it's ultimate, and it's deep. And then also, it's certain. It's guaranteed. I, there's nothing else I can say with more certainty that I will, than I will stand before the throne of Christ someday, one day. I'm certain about that. There are other things I just can't be certain about because everything else will fizzle out. It will be left in tatters. It will be unfinished. Business aspirations, family falling apart, projects that I undertake that might never get finished, those may never happen. They're not certain, but this one thing I can be certain about. Uh, we are certain of it because, one, God has promised it to us in Jesus, and also because Jesus has accomplished it for us. So it's something God has promised, so it's sure, and it's something that uh, he has, Jesus has accomplished, so it's certain. Now, this is part of why we're afraid of death, um, because we're not sure. We're not sure, we're not certain that I'm going to be one of those who are standing before Jesus because we often base that on our performance. Have I done enough? I was talking to a college student years ago, and uh, she said she, she, she has a fear of death. And I said, but you're a Christian. Why do you have a fear of death? Because she said, I'm not sure if everything's been done that needs to be done. And I said, well, Jesus said he's done it all. He's accomplished it all. She said, yeah, but I would know it got done if I did it. <laughs> Jesus just tells me he did it, but did he really do it? And so we had a long talk. And so as we begin to talk, that's, that really is our assurance. Jesus has accomplished it. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, God knew what we were before we became Christians, before conversion. We were wicked, guilty, and defiled. Yet he loved us. He knows what we are after we've been converted. We're weak, erring, and frail. Yet he loves us. It's because he loves us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Thank God my salvation does not depend upon my frail hold on him, but of his mighty grasp on me. So I'm going to arrive there safely, not because I've done it, and I can be sure I've done it, because if, ask my family. They'll tell you if there's something I'm planning to do, it's probably not going to get done. But God has promised it. God has made it certain Jesus has uh, accomplished it. So God promised it, Jesus secured it, and the Holy Spirit is enabling it. Heaven is not a reward for the hard worker, but a gift for the humble person who relies on Jesus. That's it. So our hope is 
the fulfillment of God's promise for the renewal of all things, bringing gratification of our deepest longings. It's certain, it's guaranteed, but it is future, not in this life. Oh, so, okay, so that's what it, the nature of faith. What is the content of Christian faith? What exactly are we talking about? Well, Paul's in prison. It'd be easy to catastrophize that situation, but what Paul is doing in this passage is not giving us a detailed understanding of what's going to happen when we die, but he's drawing back the camera for a little bit so you can see the snapshot of his life within the time frame of, of the whole of eternity, saying, I'm in jail right now, but let me pull this back for a little bit and tell you what's coming next for me. So he's drawing the camera back so you can see the, the big picture, and knowing the ending completely puts the whole of his life into context of saying, this right here, this is just a small sliver of my life. This is hard. This is difficult. But I have a hope that undergirds everything. And so listen to what Paul says in verse 23. He says, my desire is to depart. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Verse 23 again, I desire to depart. He's saying, we depart. We leave here. We go somewhere. Our souls leave our bodies. We don't cease to exist. We don't evaporate. We don't disintegrate. We leave our bodies and the people we've known behind, and our souls pass immediately into the presence of Jesus. And this is a very different picture than that told to us by our secular peers. Uh, as we begin to look um, at what people say, Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, really talks about this really well. He talks about the idea that the Enlightenment was, was really good for Western culture in this way, is it got rid of all the old superstitions about witches and ghosts and, and uh, about fairies and sprites. Because in that mindset, people would look at things like diseases and illness, and there was no kind of medical cure for those or prevention for those. It was all about incantations and about uh, you know, finding the right kind of, of talismans to try to ward off that disease and illness. And so the Enlightenment was actually good because it rid the world of a lot of those kinds of superstitions. But Charles Taylor in his book said, we've entered into another phase, which is an equal and opposite an equally destructive error, and what he calls not superstition, but substition. Because not only was the world removed, the, were the fairies and sprites and witches and ghosts and goblins removed from our world and our, the superstitions, but belief in God, belief in human beings having a soul, and the belief that we go somewhere when we die, that also has been removed. So all we get is right here within the period between when we live and when we die. Only the physical exists, and so when you die, the factory shuts down and begins to decompose. That's it. We just decay. But the Bible gives a very different understanding of what happens when we die. It gives a whole different story of huma humanity. So let me be clear about the Christian worldview regarding uh, death for just a moment. The Bible teaches that, one, you are a unique person created by God. You as you really exist as a unique individual person. It is not simply the illusion of biochemical processes that are working in your head. You are a unique person. Number two, you as you are not just a body, but a body and a soul with these two aspects of yourself interrelating. You were created with these two vital components to your humanity, and both of them are good. Three, at death, we retain our individual personhood and consciousness, but our bodies and souls are separated. 
Our physical existence here ends for a time, but our consciousness continues on. The Bible teaches the permanence of the soul even after physical death. And then four, the souls of the departed enter into one of two places upon death. Those who believe in Jesus uh, enter immediately into his presence called heaven. That's what we call heaven. And those who have persisted in unbelief are held somewhere else called hell for the day of final judgment. Now we're talking about Christians primarily this morning, but some of you who are here uh, you may be concerned because you may be wondering, how do I know if I'm going to go to heaven or hell? There only, there's not an option C, right? There's only these two, right? So how do I know? And Paul isn't talking about that necessarily here, but the, the answer is given elsewhere in lots of different passages. Here's one in John 5, 28. Whoever hears, Jesus said, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. So he says, if you hear what I'm saying and you believe me and you believe the Father who sent me, you have eternal life. You have it. It's that simple. And there's a great picture of this. In Luke 23, of all places, this is Jesus. He's dying on the cross. And when he's hung on the cross, he's has these, he has these thieves around him. And uh, by all intents and purposes, the one that we, we talk about is the thief on the cross. That guy, when Jesus was first hung on the cross, was joining in with all of the verbal abuse that people are heaping on Jesus, saying rude and cruel and mean things to Jesus while he's on the cross and taunting him while he's on the cross. And so in this way, uh, this guy starts the day cursing Jesus. But then as the day goes on and he hears the things that Jesus says and he watches the way that Jesus interacts with people on the cross, his heart begins to change. And so by the end of the day, before he dies and before Jesus dies, he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you truly that today you will be with me in paradise. This is a course of just a few hours, and he's doing exactly what Jesus says. He heard Jesus' words, he believed Jesus, and he entrusted himself to Jesus and believed him. And just in the course of these few hours, this man's entire eternity is changed. It's that simple. It really is that simple. I believe Jesus. I believe him. I trust him. I think he's exactly who he says he is, and he's going to do exactly what he says it is. And I can trust him that when I die, I'm going to go and to be with him. So this is what Paul's talking about. He says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. He believes him. When we die, our souls leave our bodies. At that moment, we don't cease to exist. We continue to exist, but just not in the same body the way that we were before. And I was thinking about this. What's, what's, uh, what, what in my weird little mind world, uh, how would I illustrate this? You know, what the culture says and what we say. Here it is. It's Small World at Disney. I want you to imagine you're on Small World. And some of you are like, that's the afterlife. No, 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 no. That's life here now. That's here. That's here, where we are. So, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm so relieved. Okay. Um, so I want you to imagine you're on Small World. And you're in a boat with a bunch of people, and they all have a variety of opinions about where this boat is headed, right? And one person on the boat says, hey, you know what? We don't know how we got here, but I can tell you this. At the end, the boat goes down. It sinks right at the end. Everybody's going down. Nobody's coming back. And they say, here's, here's the evidence for it. On the wall when you leave, it has all these words for goodbye. Goodbye, adios, sayonara. It's like we're all going down. We're all going to die at the end of this thing, and there's nothing afterwards. And you know in your mind, no, 
I can get off this thing and go get a turkey leg and Dole Whip. I can get on the monorail, go around. I can get in my car and go home and go take a nap if I want to. Small world isn't all there is. Guess what? Small world isn't all there is. We live here for a period of time. But then there's the rubber bumper ramp on the end, and you get off, and you go somewhere else, right? I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. He's got Dole Whip. Um, and other good stuff. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, we sent our first child off to college, and that was that was hard. It's hard when you send your any of your children off to college, but well, we were moving from Clemson. We left Catherine in Clemson. She stayed there, and so she's functionally gone from our life on a day-to-day basis, which made us really grateful for things like texting and phones and FaceTime. It's just fantastic. You know, we love that. But it made me think about yesteryear. You know, when when your when family moved away, when a person left in a ship or a cross-country caravan for new employment, a new life, there was no Facebook, there was no FaceTime, there were t- there may be telegraphs, you know, at a certain time period. People wrote more letters than they do today because that's the only way you could keep in touch with people. And so maybe you would receive word by letter. But mainly it was just your imagination picturing where they were, what they were doing, how they were doing. And if things went well, you know, maybe you knew somebody who was from San Francisco where your family member moved, or maybe somebody from Berlin where your family was moving. And you might, they might tell you what the city was like so you could visualize that person there. But functionally, that person's out of your life except for memories and imaginations, right? When we die, people go somewhere. They're somewhere. We can't see them, but they're somewhere. So I'm sitting at home in Mississippi, and I get a text from my friend Hank Azell, and Hank is sitting on campus. Uh, he works at one of the campus ministries, and uh, he said, guess who I'm looking at right now? Texted me, and then a few seconds later, he sent me a picture of my daughter <laughs> waving. And uh, I said, tell her I said hello. And he texted me a few seconds later said, mission accomplished. Right? I didn't see her, but he did. She was somewhere else. Even if I can't see her, that doesn't mean somebody doesn't see her. Uh, it's a departure. It's a departure. AD 125, a Greek named Aristides wrote a friend about Christianity explaining why this new religion, in their minds, was so successful. It says, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. Departing. This is the backdrop for what Paul is talking about. Paul's intent here is not to explain in detail what happens when we die. Um, from a Christian perspective, it's really showing that he has this assumption about his own life. It's as part of his belief system that affects the way he approaches the very difficult situation that he finds himself in and that we often find ourselves in. It's just a snapshot. And what the Bible bids us do is to kind of pan back and take a look at the whole timeline of what's going on and how you find yourself in the midst of this. Um, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He says, that's coming. It's certain. It's going to happen. It's going to be the best thing ever. Um, What is coming? What is that going to be like? Well, what is our hope as Christians? Well, he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ. He says, that's far better. Being with Christ. Came across this quote this week as I was putting this together. I think it's fantastic. He said, fundamentally, our Lord's message was himself. He did not come merely to preach a gospel. He himself is that gospel. 
He did not come merely to give us bread. He said, I am the bread. He did not come merely to give us light. He said, I am the light. He did not come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He did not come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He did not come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is our hope. It's him. It was always about him, knowing him and knowing him better, entering into that relationship here and enjoying that for a time here through the power of the Spirit, through the Word, through the fellowship with other believers. But then when we die, going to be in the presence of Jesus. How fantastic is that? John Donne, uh, an, an old Puritan writer, said this, I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and shine myself as that sh sun shines. I shall be united to the Ancient of Days, to God himself, who had no morning, never began. No man ever saw God and lived, and, I, and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I have seen him, I shall never die. So what happens when we die? Going to heaven when we die is not the end. It's kind of the beginning of something new. So let me give you some clarity about, clarity about what the Bible says for the person in Christ at death. When we die, we leave the good things of the world God created for us and enter immediately into the awe-inspiring presence of God himself, which is what the Bible calls heaven. Then, when Jesus returns at the resurrection, we receive new bodies, and he brings with him all of the awe-inspiring glories of God's presence in heaven and unites them to all of the good things of God's created world so that we have both in one place. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, takes the realm of earth and heaven and unites them into one place. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. And this is what gives power to us. It's the power of the Christian hope. So hear what Paul is saying in verses 20 and 21. Christ will be honored in my body. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He's saying, I don't have any regrets about being in jail. I don't have any regrets about that. Because the, the future grace of Jesus is shining into my life, into this dark cell, illuminating my life so I can actually see it in a proper perspective. He's not looking for utter and complete fulfillment now in what he's experiencing. He's in a jail cell. But he's looking forward to what is coming later. So what he says is, option A, I can die now. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I get to go be with Jesus. I'm out of a jail cell. My work on earth is done. I can be at rest. It would be fantastic. Or option B, I don't die here now, but I get to stay and continue bringing Jesus into other people's lives. There's going to be hardship there, but at the end, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to go and be with Jesus, and that's certain and it's best, and when I depart, I will be filled with unimaginable joy. So no matter the ceremony, the, the, the scenario, will die in prison, continue in ministry. Whether I die or live, I live to the glory of Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we live as those for whom the best is yet to come. What we have here may be good, but it anticipates what is better. We don't tell ourselves we may never have anything this good ever again. Oh, yes, we will. This isn't small world. Right? Just on it for a little bit. There's something bigger that's coming. 
It also means that there's no room for envy or jealousy or greed or laziness or grasping or hoarding. There's no room in the hearts of those who are filled with this longing because these things are not going to fulfill me now. I'm not chasing after these things. I have it then. For it to be part of who you are and for it to be at the core of who you are, that's what Paul is asking. So this changes people. When you have this kind of hope, it changes people. One thing it does is it gives you courage. So when you look at the early Christians who were fed to lions and they were put in arenas and killed by gladiators. When you look, when you look at Christian martyrs throughout the world, they weren't pursuing martyrdom because they thought, if I, if I take it in my hand, I can be sure that I'm going to go to heaven. No. They were sure that Jesus had already done it. And they know, even if I die in the arena, even if a lion mauls me to death in front of a crowd of people, I am certain I will go to be with Jesus. They weren't braver than the rest of us. They just believed it. They believed it. Or it changes us, so we become people not just of courage, but people of sacrifice. Some of you may have heard stories about the Black Plague in Europe. And during the Black Plague, people fled from the cities, right? And they got away from the disease as quickly as they could, except for the Christians. Christians tended to stay in the cities and take care of the sick and dying, and sometimes were exposed to it themselves and died in many cases while other people just left. Now, why do they do this? Because Christians are better people? No. Nicer? More ethical? No. Why did they do this? Because it was their hope in the promises of God that Christians have absolute assurance of this ultimate future. I can give myself this way because I know where I'm going. And then it also removes from us um, the angry, bitter, and disgruntled cynicism that we are all kind of eaten up with right now. It's because it gives us hope that There is a God who cares. There is a God who has a plan. There is a God that someday, one day, is going to come and change this world. And he's already breaking into this world in the lives of people and bringing transformation and change to them. And when people come to understand this, it brings about a contentment. If this is all you get, you're going to be angry. And you're going to be constantly craving for you to have your fulfillment here and now in this world, even at Disney World. This is not on my notes. I'm not going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a Disney World story. So when I was in college, I worked on the backstage studio tour at Disney Hollywood Studios. And uh, this one, that summer that I worked, I don't know how Disney got this or why they got this. They, had, they got the rights to the character performance for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right? So they would have Raphael and Leonardo and Donatello and all these. I know their names because I worked there. And uh, they would come out in this van and they would do kind of this routine where they come out and fight and take pictures with kids and stuff. And you can imagine at that point the queue line for this thing was so long in the Florida sun. And so part of my job on some days was doing crowd control, which is not a job you want to do in the summertime at Disney. Most people were very friendly and very kind, but there was this one lady one day who just lit into me. She was so angry at me. And I'm just like, I'm just the Disney castle. I'm not Michael Eisner. I don't own the place. You know, you just, you just go on. Except I was very nice. I was, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry, ma'am. I know this is really hard. Everybody else is waiting too. It's, I know this is very hard. Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, so I just kind of, you know, tried to ease it. But what's fascinating to me is eventually it got to why she was so angry. This is our one vacation. 
that we can take to Disney. We've been saving up forever for this. And we were in line waiting for these stupid turtles. We're in line all day, every day for food, for this. And why can't we just get onto the thing? And she's so upset because for her, this is it. This is my children's childhood. This is, these are the memories. This is everything. I've got to cram all of my happiness and joy of my children into this one compressed moment. And she was angry and upset about it. You can see that, right? Because y'all were all that at Disney at some point. <laughs> um, but when you see from the larger perspective, we're here for a moment. It's a small world. It's just a little bit. Came across a quote preparing this. The guy said, the sooner you realize and accept that one day you're going to leave it all behind, all of it, the more content with your life you will become. There's some truth in that, but I'd add to it. I'd add this. The sooner you realize that everything you think you want here is really misplaced longing for what you will one day have in Jesus, the more content with your life you will become here. I'm really waiting for it. It's in Jesus. It's not here. I can enjoy things here now, but they're not ultimate and they're not certain, um, but I want it right now. But what I have in Jesus, that's going to be fantastic. It's going to fulfill everything. Uh, in God's providence, uh, I was given an obituary um, in the past couple of weeks from Lisa Jenkins. Uh, this is in the back. And uh, her aunt Janice passed away. And she wrote her own obituary, um, which some people do. And uh, I wanted to read this to you because I thought this really sums up somebody who's approaching death uh, with a very long-term picture. The my life here is a snapshot of something bigger. And uh, I, I think I have to tell you this because there's a little line that's really quite humorous on her part. Uh, she, was a, she was a larger person. So, um, so there's a line where it's like she has a very good sense of humor. So this is what she wrote in her obituary. Perhaps you're reading this because someone has told you I died. Don't believe it. Indeed, my body is on its way back to a pile of dust. In my case... A large pile. But according to John eleven twenty six, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. I believe in Jesus. Want a list of my good deeds? It's short. I sang a few songs and taught some Sunday school lessons, made banners, loved my husband and children, and adored my grandchildren. The Bible says my righteousness is like filthy rags, so I chose to trust Jesus and accept his perfect righteousness imputed to me or counted as mine, by his sacrificial death on Calvary. His shed blood paid the debt for my sin, and his glorious resurrection assured, uh, too, I can have an eternal home with him in heaven. Please, join me there. I'm leaving here for a while, members of my family, she lists them, waiting for me in heaven are other members of my family that she listed. She said, you may join my celebration of life at Gentry Griffey Funeral Chapel on August 18th, receiving family and friends from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. with service starting at 2 p.m. You may think it's strange that I wrote my own obituary, but everyone writes their own by the way that they live. Isn't that great? I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory. No man ever saw God and lived, and yet I shall not live till I see God. 
And when I've seen him, I will never die. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.